This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now, your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, on this miserable old day. Well, uh, Memorial University says it is accepting all eight recommendations by the Auditor General in a report released publicly today. Spending by the former MUN president came under the AG's scrutiny, among many other issues. Um, Memorial University is now making itself available to reporters, and VOCM's Richard Duggan is there to give you the latest on that. But uh, the AG report and it outlines quite a few items, but among the ones that sort of stand out, if you will, are um, expenses that the Auditor General considers to be excessive. That includes $1,792 paid for custom-made chocolates purchased by the President's office in December of 2020 as Christmas gifts, Uh, $2,700 for a desk and chair for the former President's home, and $598 for a limousine service used during a trip in August of 2021, um, ostensibly because there were no car rentals available. Well, the former President also incurred close to $10,000 in expenses for a 24-day province-wide tour visiting various university facilities. Among the costs reimbursed during that trip was $652 for an oil change and tire replacement, even though the former president received a monthly car allowance of $1,000 that included car maintenance. Memorial's travel policy does not allow for the reimbursement of maintenance costs. So that's just some of the uh, spending or excessive spending that the AG uncovered. There was also um, significant gaps in policies and processes that led to a lack of oversight on administrative costs as a whole. And while bonuses paid to executives at uh, CCOR and the Genesis Center are outlined in the report, the amounts, curiously, have been redacted. Um, And I doubt it was the AG that redacted that. Uh, This had to go through government first before it was released. So it is curious as to why certain elements of the AG report are in fact redacted before they were issued to the public. Hopefully we'll get some answers on that. But uh, Memorial University responding to the AG's report today as we speak in just a few minutes time. So um, we'll get an update on that in the next little while. Well, NDP leader Jim Din has refused to retract comments made in the House of Assembly last week that were deemed unparliamentary language. Din's speaking uh, rights in the House of Assembly have been revoked until he retracts the comments made last week during debate on the province's housing situation. And it's um, amusing to note that um, the NDP caucus issued a release today on the questions he would have asked had he been allowed to speak in the House of Assembly today. Well, uh, Din was uh, questioning comments made by Minister of Children, Seniors and Social Development last week, uh, suggesting that the province had created 750 new housing units in the province and subsequently repeated by others on the government side. Here's part of the comment in question in the Thursday sitting of the legislature. In an Instagram video, the Minister of Finance stated, we've built 750 new affordable houses. So I asked the Premier, were these statements lies as well? Uh, the member from St. John's Centre used unparliamentary language when he referred to a member on this side of the House as a liar. I think he used the word, it's a lie. Uh, so I'd ask the member from St. John's Centre to withdraw that comment. The Honourable Member St. John's Centre. Uh, speaker, 
serious is way too, uh, this issue is way too serious. I will not retract it. Thank you. So that was uh, Jim Din and John Hogan in the House of Assembly last week. That was when um, Speaker Derek Bennett uh, took the matter and decided to uh, rule upon it. Well, he uh, issued his uh, ruling on that today. Um, indicating that uh, the comments were in fact unparliamentary and he asked Din to retract it and apologize. While I appreciate that in the eat up debate, members may get caught up in the complex issues at hand. I note that the member for St. John's Center then repeated the offending language in his subsequent question. I therefore rule that the member, member's language is unparliamentary and I call upon the member for St. John's Center to unequivocally withdraw both comments. The Honorable the member for St. John's Center. Thank you, Speaker. I will not retract those comments. I'll ask you one more time. Will you please retract the statement? Speaker, I regret that I had to use those words, but I will not retract those comments. The member has indicated that he will not draw. Therefore, I rule that the member will not be recognized until such time he withdraws those statements. So Jim Din uh, did not have um, uh, speaking privileges in the House of Assembly today. It will remain to be seen how much longer that may last. Well, an issue that dominated discussion on VOCM Open Line this morning was word that a number of Scotiabank locations in rural regions of the province are closing, and that's causing great concern to uh, those who, by next summer, will have to travel long distances to access face-to-face -face banking services. Among the locations set to close, include uh, Burgio, Twillingate, Whitburn and Bonavista. Well, here's Bonavista Mayor John Norman. I received correspondence on uh, late Friday afternoon, which seems quite appropriate uh, when I couldn't get anyone on the phone, nor could anyone from our town hall, um, basically highlighting that the uh, Scotiabank branch in Bonavista with 10 or 12 employees in operation for over 100 years uh, would be closing uh, in 2024. I was shocked. I am chair of the Regional Chamber of Commerce for the Bonavista Trinity area, one of the largest uh, business organizations in the province outside the Board of Trade here in the city uh, with over 142 not-for-profit and corporate business members. We have a significant business startup rate in the area, and this is the only listed bank in the Bonavista catchment area. You have close to 8,000 people in a small radius of Bonavista, and this is the bank. I myself go to that branch for years now, week over week, month over month. My CFO with one of my companies, financial admin staff at the town hall, very hard to show up at that bank branch at any given time, Monday through Friday, and not be in the porch, out to the porch, with a lineup. And the correspondence from Scotiabank says that they are streamlining their activities to improve service for their customers. As you can tell, I'm both shocked and enraged by this, the fragrant disregard for the people of the Bonavista area who have given Scotiabank, through a monopoly basically, their business for over 100 years. And the hundreds and hundreds of people, senior citizens, lower income individuals, members of the business community that must do in-person banking, 
I must deal with a person at least two times a month. The nearest Scotiabank now, they say, will be conveniently located an hour and a half drive away in Clarenville. Uh, the whole thing is completely ludicrous, and I look forward to speaking to other mayors as more and more towns get notice of this and uh, speak with them at the M&L conference uh, starting this Thursday, this week actually, to discuss some sort of action plan, recruitment of new banks. Bonavista has been courted for a number of years now by other financial institutions saying, very, very busy location. Let us know if you're ever looking for another bank to do business with. So there's obviously something they know that Scotiabank doesn't. Uh, it is shocking when uh, Lindsay called off the top of the show and said that Twillingate is losing its Scotiabank, uh, uh, similar to the situation in Bonavista. I don't think I've ever been in Twillingate and haven't seen the lineup out to the uh, out through the lobby. No, there's there's really an an academic uh, issue that that is being researched actively in this as well. You have rural areas and sub-rural areas that many of them are quite populated communities and in populated areas, many with growing business communities in recent years. But you also have some of the older population of the province living in these areas. I don't think the 88-year-old woman I heard from this morning is popping on her smartphone to use a Scotiabank app this morning, nor are hundreds like her going to be using an app or doing online banking with their iPad. She doesn't own an iPad. This is a really serious issue. This is insulting for the people who live in these rural areas, which in the grand scheme of things are, are not really the most rural towns in the province by far. These are all towns with thousands of citizens and serve thousands more in their catchment areas. Scotiabank is telling us that where they obviously don't want our business. So um, the message is loud and clear. We will have our meeting with Scotiabank as a council, but uh, there will be other actions taken, and we will go about talking to other financial institutions that do want to work with us and support our community and the growth in our region. And this will go right to Goody Hutchings, the Minister for Rural at the uh, federal level, because this certainly affects rural economic development when nobody in rural Canada at this rate will have a bank to go to. Well, you're not going to get a business loan over an app, or at least I hope you're not. Uh, you're not going to get a mortgage over uh, over a, a, an app. Uh, you need to have that one-on-one. -on -one. It will, will it affect economic development in your area? I mean, you've worked very hard to, uh, to get Bonavista to where it is today. Absolutely. Well, as I said, I've just finished a speaking tour. We're a subject of academic study. I've just uh, traveled from um, the west coast of Newfoundland across Nova Scotia through New Brunswick and into Maine. I have spoken at top universities in Canada, the U.S., and Europe on the best practices of economic development in Bonavista, going from 15 or 20 years ago with very little business startup to now dozens of new businesses starting up in the Bonavista area every year, year over year. Business has grown, and the lineup at our local bank has certainly grown as well. I would love to see stats supporting all of this. To me, it sounds like a cash grab. They feel they have our business. We will willingly switch online with no personal contact, and those that must do in-person banking will simply make the drive. Well, 
I don't know about anybody else, but town staff in the town of Bonavista, as well as my own CFO in, in some of my other private companies, will not be driving three hours a day to do corporate deposits or to do general business banking. That's not happening. So we'll happily be giving our business to somebody else. I'd like to hear what uh, other municipalities have to say about it, what Seniors NL has to say about it. Uh, and I'd also like to hear on. from some financial yeah. experts who uh, just like what's behind these kinds of moves. Exactly. Well, we need more details. I'm still taken off guard by the communication thus far from Scotiabank. But there are small bank branches from other banking companies that are all around this province. Uh, I reference to members of council. We have a Royal Bank operating three days a week in the small community, the hamlet of Trinity, uh, 30 minutes away from Bonavista, and has been operating there for a century. I have yet to hear anything about their closure. So how can they justify bank branches in communities like that with other banking corporations, with populations that are much, much smaller in those areas, and then shut down bank branches that have, as I said, 10 or 12 employees and going from that to zero. I, I don't know how to meld those two in my mind, that all of a sudden we don't need those 10 in-person individuals and offices held in Bonavista. What we actually need to best service you is zero people. Or get your carcass down to Clarenville. <laughs> yeah, spend time on money, gas, and money itself for those that are in business. This will have a significant deleterious impact on economic development in rural Newfoundland. And I'm assuming as news breaks throughout Atlantic Canada, I'm sure we're not the only province affected in rural areas by this announcement that's rolling out. So that's Bonavista Mayor John Norman, and you can hear how uh, incredibly taken aback he is uh, by this announcement and it, what it will mean, not just for his community, but for the entire region on the Bonavista Peninsula. And he is not the only one. Uh, Twillingate, Whitburn, uh, we're hearing now about uh, Burgio and Grand Bank. We'll hear more on the bank closures in a bit. But coming up, October is going out with some wet and relatively mild temperatures did you find it a bit warm yesterday Claudette yeah it was it strangely was, it warm was, I felt it was strange yeah. yes I mean normally you'd never complain right but yeah it, it felt a little ominous yeah we went outside and we, like you know I had the jacket on the sweater underneath the jacket you know and the jacket done up and I was like wait a minute <laughs> stripped it all off yeah going out in the t-shirt again and then the wind and then of course the halloween decorations make it a little even kind of but you know what the trees have just lost their leaves they did you notice that it's almost overnight my my um my car is just filled filled with leaves because i park under a dogberry tree <laughs> it's just constant and uh for some reason the dogberries and i uh, the um is that what i'm thinking of the dogberries yeah they just Mine in the backyard is stripped bare. All is it, all it is is the dogberries. Yeah, they're uh, they're uh, coming off really. Happened this weekend for the most part. And it's I got just, a maple next to it. It's fully green. I know it doesn't make sense. Yeah, <laughs> wild. <laughs> but I did notice driving around the weekend that you know you're driving down the streets and it looks fall. You know the, the leaves are all over the road and, and the it sidewalks. Is, I and, do love yeah. fall. So yeah, it is a nice feeling. Although having said that, too many leaves on a pavement is not exactly a friend for motorcyclists or people that can walking slip. they can be slimy yep they can be yeah scary 
gotta have proper footwear and the like. Um, but we're gonna hear a little bit more about uh, the temperatures and the wet. It's so wet. Oh, it, this fall has been so dreary, yeah. hasn't it? I love fall, but I, having said that, yes, I can't stand it when it's like that. Yeah, <laughs> she says, as I roll my indicating eyes. over her shoulder what's yeah. behind her uh, coming down through that window there. Um, yeah, so we'll uh, hear from the Environment Canada Weather Office in Gander coming up right after this. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. Well, it is another dark, dismal day in many parts of the island today. David Neal with the Environment Canada Weather Office in Gander joins me now. Well, David Neal, how are you on this wet, miserable Monday? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. It is a little dreary this way, but, you know, overall, it's uh, a little better than it was uh, at least the uh, last couple of days anyway. No, for sure. And is it just me or was it unusually warm on Sunday? Uh, actually did have uh, some um, sort of unseasonable warmth there, really uh, dating back to uh, right before the weekend as well, so uh, uh, at least in parts of the province. So we had uh, uh, a few a few areas did set some uh, some temperature records, a few areas in Labrador on um, on the basically the, the 20 uh, the um, the 19th through the 21st uh same thing in newfoundland a few uh, just a few areas from the uh, the 20th to the 22nd uh so yeah it's uh, certainly um we certainly did have uh for you know mid to late october uh st- seeing some daytime highs uh getting up into uh, into the teens it's uh yeah certainly a little warmer than uh, th- than you'd expect any records there sorry any records uh, yeah, there are a few places that set records, kind of scattered all about. Depends on which day you kind of look at. But uh, in terms of uh, for Newfoundland, I've seen the bulk of the uh, of the records were set more in uh, uh, in southern areas of the island. Uh, so you're looking at uh, uh, Port of Bass set some uh, a couple of temperature records, a couple of days, uh, a couple of areas on the Buren Peninsula as well. Uh, so that uh, seems to be kind of where the bulk of the records were for the island in Labrador. Um, it looks like uh, Mar- uh, Mary's Harbor had a couple of days with records as well as happy valley goose bay uh establishing some new uh some new highs for a few day, for a couple of those days there so uh so warm all across but in terms of the record the record setting temperatures there were a few uh areas that were uh, uh certainly a little more um more pertinent when it comes to set, uh, establishing new new highs and what's contributing to those higher temperatures what's causing it uh, so basically, we had um, it, it, the last uh, last number of days uh, had a system that uh, brought up some uh, some some warm southerly winds uh, across uh, across the island and brought up some some warmer temperatures. Fairly, uh, you know, a, pr- a pretty good uh, system that kind of stuck around for a little while. Uh, so that uh, that certainly brought in some of those uh, those warmer temperatures uh, on, on the uh, on the island in parts of uh, in parts of Labrador as well. The, the areas that did get into that more of a more to a south a southerly flow so that uh, that uh, really contributed to bringing some of those warmer uh, that warmer air uh, up over us 
Now, normally when we think about warmer weather, especially this time of year, it's usually pushed up by some of these tropical storms and that. But I'm noticing the tracks. I was looking at the uh, National Hurricane Center tracks the other day uh, uh, by the U.S. Geological um, Meteorological Service, and, and it was showing the tracks of all the storms that have happened this year, and they had predicted a higher number. But they all seem to sort of meander back out into the ocean, and, and not a lot of them have uh, affected um, the coastal regions. So what's going on there? Do you know what's you know causing that? Um, well, yeah. Typically, uh, typically during during hurricane season, whether it's uh, you know a more active or less active season, typically a lot of a lot of the storms do tend to kind of move out, uh, take take that kind of track out into the uh, into the Atlantic. So they basically come up along through uh, uh, into the tropics, and then they eventually, once they start to get uh, far enough north, uh, they start to they get uh, caught up in a more what's more like a west to southwest. Uh, from uh, flow that comes more from the west or southwest, so they tend to get pushed out uh, towards uh, the open open ocean. But I mean, we did uh, we did have a couple of storms uh, that uh, uh, that did kind of make their way up. Obviously, uh, we had uh, Lee, which uh, not so not as much for Newfoundland. We did we did get some good rain with uh, with Lee over a few areas, but uh, certainly um, that's one that did uh, manage to come up towards the Maritimes. And then of course uh, Philippe, which uh, was a little less uh, le- less uh, uh, severe than uh, than Lee. Uh, really kind of fizzle out before it really got to the Maritimes. But, uh, do you, you know, at least uh, during the, uh, the hurricane season, we tend to, uh, many of the storms do tend to move out to sea, but, you know, we do get the, the scattered one that does uh, manage to make its way a little bit further north before it gets caught up in that uh, in that type of flow. So um, it's kind of what we, we always kind of say for uh, for hurricane season and the messaging, you know, it really only takes one to make it a bad season, but uh, uh, certainly um we at least here in, Newf- in Newfoundland and Labrador we got uh, uh we did uh, get uh, get lucky so far this year and uh, of course there's another storm churning right now although that one looks like it's uh it's going to stay well away from us as well that would be uh um, uh, t- uh, Hurricane Tammy, uh, but uh certainly so far this year we've uh, uh we've done okay and what can we expect now in the coming days uh, well, what we're looking at, uh, what we're looking at right now, uh, just uh, a little bit of you know lingering, few lingering showers drizzle with this uh, with this system that's event- that's finally going to move away. Uh, do have an area of high pressure coming in, uh, so for uh, for for Labrador, uh, a good part, a good part of the day, Labrador and Newfoundland, a good part of the day tomorrow should be okay. Could see a spotty shower here or there uh, throughout the day tomorrow in a few areas, but generally not too too bad. Um, really the next. Uh, the next kind of more significant system that we we have coming in uh, looks to be again into the weekend. Of course, we can't seem to escape uh, uh, escape. Uh, uh, Weekend uh, poor weather on the weekends it seems, but uh, are looking at another uh, system that's going to come across. Uh, looks like it's going to come across in that weekend time frame for the island. Looks like uh, uh, kind of a little bit more, a um, little bit more rain coming uh, for uh, for for parts of the island. Uh, Labrador could start to see a little mix of uh, some more uh, that wintry type precipitation, but uh, certainly uh, going to keep an eye on that one as we uh, move towards the weekend, and uh, uh, we'll see how that one starts. To to develop as it gets a little bit closer to us. David Neal, appreciate your time. Thank you. Not a problem. Thank you. And we are overdue for the news with Noah Shepard uh, coming up right now. 
Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, the provincial government has announced some uh, proposed legislative changes that it hopes will finally allow ride-sharing services, I'm sorry, in response to growing consumer demand. Well, here's some of what Premier Andrew Fury said today at the Alt Hotel in St. John's. The demand for transportation services has just been exceeding the capacity of the taxi industry over the last few years. And in a way, that's a good problem to have because it means our province is truly buzzing with activity. We have heard regularly from many people who live here, visitors, our community partners, municipalities, business owners, boards of trade and commerce, that there is a real need for more local transportation options in this province. Residents and visitors alike need to be able to get to where they want to go in a reasonable and sa- reasonable time and safely. Ride-sharing can provide that for us. I'm pleased to share that after discussions with Uber, they have expressed an interest and are working toward bringing their provinces to the their sorry their services to the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Our province is open for ride-sharing. During this, season, this session of the House of Assembly, Minister Studley will bring forth legislation to encourage ride-sharing services throughout Newfoundland and Labrador. The minister will speak to these amendments shortly. The new amendments go a step further than we already have in place to allow for a province-wide ride-sharing service to make it easier. After a lot of work and discussions with multiple community partners, many of whom are in the room today, we are excited to introduce a provincial approach to ride-sharing services. This approach will provide clear and simple rules to enable ride-sharing services to operate safely and effectively in Newfoundland and Labrador. It will also help ensure consistency of regulation and enforcement. Our population is increasing. Years of population decline have finally, finally been reversed. And that's thanks to some of the dedicated efforts by our government and stakeholders who are in the room. Families are moving back home. Newcomers are choosing to call Newfoundland and Labrador home. And businesses are growing as a result. We want to be sure that we are providing the services that they need. We want to be sure that people can access safe, and accessible transportation services. The amendments we will bring forward this session are intended to help both our taxi industry and ride-sharing services grow and thrive. There is room for both taxis and ride-sharing services in this province. It really does not have to be one versus the other. In many, many, many cities and provinces and other jurisdictions across North America Ride-sharing coexists with taxi services, and they both operate successfully. So now it's time for Newfoundland and Labrador to join the rest of the country. 
So there you have it. Uh, provincial government appears to be taking the whole ride-sharing um, services um, to be established here in Newfoundland and Labrador very seriously. They're making some legislative changes. And until now, um, it had been difficult to get any real response from government when it came to the establishment of ride-sharing services. I know in the past I've asked myself, uh, Minister Studley's office and um, government officials themselves, about whether or not uh, um, ride-sharing services could be implemented here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And for a while, they would defer to the municipalities. But of course, the municipalities, they don't make up these rules themselves. They have their own legislation. There's the Municipalities Act, and in St. John's case, is the City of St. John's Act. In the case of Corner Brook, it's the City of Corner Brook Act. Uh, so all of that legislation has to be updated, and uh, it wasn't there. So how can you make regulations surrounding ride-sharing when you don't have the legislation to do it? So uh, anyway, it's been a bit of a, what, snake eating its own tail kind of thing? Going around in circles. Going around in circles. So now, yeah. finally, they appear to be taking it seriously. And uh, I know that the demand is out there because I hear it every day. Yeah, you do hear that a, a lot. Um, it'll be interesting to hear, too, from taxi drivers, you know, because when it was brought up before, you know, I mean, it, this is a... This is a really weighted issue for them, for sure. I just can't believe that uh, ride-sharing apps have been on the go since 2012 in Toronto, and it's getting here now. Like, yeah, well, you hear it all the time you in know? the summer months, especially. You know, yeah. people coming here from Ontario in particular, or any other, anywhere else in in Canada or the United States, for that matter. And they're con and you know, they're like, "Where's the ride-sharing?" It'll be interesting. I, I love learning a little bit more about it too, like the pros and the cons, because I heard one of the cons would be the surge pricing, and that's charging more when the need is more. Okay, I'm um, not familiar with that. Yeah, so no, yeah. I just, I wanted, you know, I was listening to the shows. I'm like, oh, I'm curious about this. I'll look it up, right? Because, um, and I can go off on a tangent on surge pricing. But yeah, so basically, I, I guess it would be like, for instance, New Year's or times uh. when, when, you really really need a cab the price uh, or sorry a an uber then the price would go up um, which would entice more riders to share their ride as well i find it an interesting concept one that i'm not you know fond of of course gotcha. the surge pricing but. well another question is insurance because as you oh, know yeah. um taxi drivers um you know all have to avail of facilities insurance and that is extremely high oh yes um, i've heard of all the complaints with that as well yeah gentleman called open line this morning he was a cab driver he said he he was paying you know nine to ten thousand dollars a year in insurance on his cab and then you know all the added expenses mm -hmm. of that so will these ride-sharing services have to pay the same kind and of costs. Is, is it fair if they don't? Is it fair if they don't? So, I mean, those are some of the trickier elements that you have to weigh. And also, um, by more people being in, involved, more people are going to want to use this as, you know, a gig or a side gig. And then that raises the whole, um, are you adding that problem of having more of a gig economy than stable jobs? It's just, there's just 
so many things, ramifications from having this here in our province. But like I said, where it's been on the go since 2012 elsewhere, maybe we needed time to kind of iron out <laughs> And the, 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 the Federation of Labour is expressing similar kinds of concerns to what you just raised there regarding uh, ride-sharing services and, uh, you know, who are they employed by? What kind of uh, um, protections do they have as employees? You know, those kinds of things. So there's a lot to, to I mean, other jurisdictions have fi got this figured out. So, right. I mean, it's not rocket science. But uh, it's all new to us, so it's all very interesting. It is very yeah, interesting. I'd love sure. to hear from both but sides. But the demand is definitely there. And for sure. And people, you know, want it. So uh, it's just curious as to why it's taken this long for it to become something, if you know what I mean. Well, when we come back after the break, uh, the town of Grand Bank, the latest to learn that it's losing its Scotiabank branch. We'll hear from Mayor Rex Matthews when we come back right after this. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, Scotiabank is cutting 3% of its staff in a restructuring process announced last week. The town of Grand Bank is the latest to learn that it's losing its Scotiabank branch. Mayor Rex Matthews joins me now. Well, Rex Matthews, you're among a growing number of towns across Newfoundland and Labrador now learning that your local Scotiabank branch is closing. Um, what's it going to mean? Well, it's going to mean little uh, for most of our people, not only in Grand Bank, but Fortune and the Greater Lamoline area too. We have uh, 5,000 people that depend on the, the local Scotia Bank and Grand Bank to provide banking services, and there's going to be a lot of inconvenience. It's going to be uh, for our businesses, as you know, that it's going to be a real downturn in terms of how they can conduct their their business. It's, it's going to be hard to attract people to the community. It's going to be hard to get business to come to the community. People don't want to have to go like 56 kilometers like we will have to go to do all their banking. Like for, for us, it will be a marriage town. And I think, you know, right out of the blue, no forewarning, Scotiabank announces that you're, you're shutting down. I think there's absolutely disgusting uh, move by Scotiabank. And I think they need to be held accountable for all branches across the province. It's just uh, so much inconvenience for seniors, low-income people, those who don't have vehicles. And uh, it goes on. It, it, you know, it just takes away from your community. And the big thing for us, too, is that people that have to travel from your community to do their banking business also take their other business as well. So how do you sustain communities if you're, you know, if all your people are going to be doing their business outside? Very, very disappointing, very um, uh, disheartening, and it's a major, major blow for growing Newfoundland. Are there any alternatives uh, in or around the community? Personally, you know, like uh, I, I don't see it. Like when, when branches closes throughout Newfoundland, as it also throughout Canada, it's very, very difficult to attract new uh, financial institutions to come in. And uh, I think that's going to be the, one of the biggest obstacles and challenges that we will have is to, to attract a, a new financial institution. It's not, it's not going to be easy. And I certainly wouldn't want to raise people's hopes because other branches don't normally follow. When one closes, uh, they all stop coming. So it's going to be difficult. 
So what kind of an impact does it, will this have? You mentioned your own town, but rural Newfoundland and, and Labrador as a whole. I know, and, and this is where I'm saying, like, you know, Scotiabank should be held accountable. They're a very, very profitable corporation that for decades in Grand Bank and elsewhere in Newfoundland and Labrador, we've, we've supported that institution. All of our people, ordinary people, all throughout the years have supported Scotiabank in rural Newfoundland and Labrador. And for Scotiabank to make this decision now at a time when the cost of living is is major, major concern for everyone to put more financial burdens on our people, I think to to me is totally unacceptable. Is there any recourse? Have you spoken to anybody in government on this? No, I haven't spoken to anyone in in the government as of yet, but with the number of communities and rural Newfoundland has impacted. I think the problems might want to be asked in some questions of Scotia Bank. Uh, there's a lot of people impacted, a lot of our seniors, low-income people, uh, with the cost of living and all those other factors come into play. I think it's important that the government should be asking the CEO of Scotia Bank, like, you know, what are they doing? What are their plans? And what are they trying to achieve? I mean, how much money do you need to make? Um, so it is a lot of questions, and with so many people in Newfoundland and Labrador being impacted here, I think the governor should be asking some very strong questions to Scotia Bank. Rex Matthews, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Bye-bye. And Rex Matthews, of course, is the mayor of Grand Bank, and he just learned that their Scotiabank branch is, in fact, closing. Well, I spoke with Dietrich Walsh of Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador on the closures of VOCM Open Line this morning. Here's some of what she had to say. This is a definite concern for rural communities for accessibility, um, and 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 we're facing it. Uh, I guess again, right here, right now. Um, uh, I just uh, just pulled up some some news stories from before. Of course, Fogo Island has had to deal with this in the past, and and it's becoming more widespread. So, like I said, we haven't heard from any of our members specifically this morning on this. But it is a concern, and it is something that has happened not only here, but across the country. So what kind of an impact would that have on a community like, the say, say for instance, growing communities like uh, Bonavista or, or Twillingate, for that matter? Uh, they used to be major service centers in their time. Now, you know, the major service centers have moved to Gander and Clarenville, but those communities remain viable, remain thriving, and in fact are growing, uh, especially uh, through tourism. So, uh, you know, how does it ha- what kind of an impact does it have on those types of communities? Well, I mean, you know, uh, coming from a rural community and having studied rural communities as part of my own research for many years, you know, we can look at banks and other kinds of institutions like that as central to all the functioning of that particular community. Uh, And no doubt, um, and I haven't heard the callers from this morning, but, you know, it is important for people still, even in this age of connectivity, to be able to do their business in person. It remains important. I don't think we can we can argue that fact. And so when you're not able to do that, particularly in a rural area, that is potentially quite a distance from where a, a, a branch would be, you know, centralized, let's just say, um, it certainly it certainly impacts how you even do business. 
or how you do your day to day. And it forces people to 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 change all of those things. And 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 a lot of people. And again, for seniors who who may not have access to transportation. And no doubt these are the kinds of calls you've had also who have um, not just seniors, but any, you know, piece of the marginalized communities who may not have access to the Internet. Um, these are very valid and important concerns. When you cannot access a service in person, it is a concern for people and for communities and for businesses, because to be able to do that is really, really important. Absolutely. And it is, uh, does it hamper growth, for instance? I mean, I don't know of anybody who's uh, applied for, a, for a, a mortgage, for instance, on their f- smartphone. Maybe they can. I, uh, I wouldn't be comfortable with it. You want to have that face-to-face. You want to talk through your options. You want to uh, develop that level of trust. Uh, so if somebody's thinking about buying a home in rural Newfoundland and suddenly realizing, uh-oh, I have to travel two hours to get this done and I might have to go back tomorrow Um, you know there right then the decision is made yeah and I think it's a really good question to to ask if it hampers growth and I I can't substantiate that that uh, answer right now with any research um, in front of me Um, but it's certainly something we need to look at what's the correlation between those two things and no doubt there's research on this and I'd be happy to come back on on the line when I have had a look at those things Um, but you know again it's about accessibility it's about speed it's about efficiency and able to do those things in person Um, one thing i will say is you know we've got our mnl annual um, conference and agm happening this week Um, minister goody hutchings who's the minister of rural economic development minister responsible for ACOA, will be with us this week we have a premier's forum on thursday morning where we're going to be talking about rural economic development i mean this is a very good question to bring to those tables and to those people and amongst our members will this hamper growth is this okay Um, what are the options here because again if you can't access services in your community that are necessary for the day-to-day functionings and sometimes you have to do that quickly um, what what is the answer to that um and you know for example going online and whatnot okay well that's the way the world the world is going um but in some instances that just doesn't work no indeed and if you have a business uh you have to make deposits you have to do Mm -hmm. those kinds of things you've got to do it every day uh so i mean what does that what kind of an impact does that have on uh doing business in some of these communities Absolutely. And again, you know, when these changes happen, for those folks who have access to a personal vehicle or who can access public transit when it's available, we all know public transit is not available really outside of St. John's and Corner Brook. Um, You know, you can make arrangements to potentially go and and do these things, but it does take additional time in your day. And for a lot of people, that's not even a possibility. People don't have access to personal vehicles. There isn't public transit. Um, Taking time out of your day for the couple of hours when you need to do banking in person is actually impossible. So it further excludes people. It further marginalizes them in ways that really isn't fair. 
And that's Deirdre Walsh uh, from municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador uh, speaking about this um, spate of closures of uh, Scotiabank branches across Newfoundland and Labrador. It's a significant issue and it's going to have ramifications. There are no questions. It will, it will be interesting to know too. I'm hoping this isn't the case, but it could certainly discourage businesses from wanting to do business in these particular towns if their basic needs can't be met. That is the concern and the fear, isn't it? I mean, and some communities have alternatives. Some have credit, uh, you know, credit unions or another branch or another branch nearby, but not all of them do. And when you're talking about an hour and a half, maybe two hours drive in the best of weather, in the best of times, I mean, a lot of people still get checks and deposit them and deal with cash. That's how they budget. Um, is it the way of the past? Yes, but there's still a significant number of people who do it that way. And if you want to be an age-friendly community, if that would you be... want to be age-friendly, you have to be able to accommodate people. And I can guarantee you how, how many people are sitting in their kitchens now wondering, how am I going to get my check after August? How am I going to pay my bills after August? How's that going to work for me? It would snowball too, because then you you're make you're becoming dependent again on your loved ones, and then that can cause issues as well. I mean, the it just goes on and on. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, uh, big decisions made in uh, big executive uh, high-rise buildings, and these are the ramifications. Um, it's uh, it's a significant one, and it got a lot of traction on Open Line, as you can appreciate this morning. Oh, I can. And I can expect that we're going to have more traction tomorrow. Not sure if I'll be hosting yet or if Patty will be hosting. If uh, Patty's back in the chair, then I'll be back here tomorrow. If um, Patty is off and I'm doing Open Line, then you can expect perhaps... Uh, Brian Callahan tomorrow afternoon, but uh, you can expect these conversations will be continuing and so much important news to be sharing. We didn't even touch on Israel and Hamas today uh, and uh, the latest developments there, but we will touch on that in the news. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Thanks for listening.